Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons Podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. So, we've been going through, um, as Jake said, a prayer series, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was, it was my go, and I talked about um, you know, the elephant in the prayer room, the thing that it, we know that God answers prayer and sometimes he doesn't answer prayer and why that is. And the bottom line I kind of put to you in that was that, well, the reason God doesn't answer prayer, well, to be honest, we just have to admit that that's a bit of a mystery. We don't actually really know sometimes why God doesn't answer our prayers and we have to be comfortable and live with that. But there are also times where it's no mystery at all. And the reason that those prayers or that prayer that we're praying isn't answered is actually quite a simple one. And it's sitting in this room here today. It's us. It's you. And it's me. And not for any deep spiritual reason, but for a very simple practical one. We pray, but then we don't do anything to make that prayer happen. We don't act. We don't step out in faith. We pray, but then we don't give God something to work with. So what I want us to see this morning is that there is a connection between prayer and action, which for various reasons, okay, sometimes we overlook and then wonder why the things that we're praying for are not coming off at all. So here's what I want us to get this morning. Sometimes there are things, and the only thing we can do is pray for it because it's something that only God can do. But then there are other things where there is something we could do. In the first case, where there are only things that God can do, we should just pray and pray and keep praying until unless such time as either God makes it clear that that's not going to happen. But in the case where we can do something, we should pray and act. For those things, I like what Mark Batterson says. He says, we need to pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on us. They're not incompatible. My wife accuses me of being the most annoying person in the world. She loves me, but she thinks I'm the most annoying person in the world. And part of the reason, and it's a very small part, because I'm sure there's lots of reasons she thinks that, is that um, I have this ongoing, monotonous, very unfunny joke with her. And every time they advertise, like, Um, a major lotto or lottery prize on the television, you know, $50 million this Tuesday, I always say, I'm going to win that. And she, in her very droll response, says, have you bought a ticket? And I say, no. And she says, then you're not going to win it. I think that's a bit like us with prayer sometimes. We, We don't buy a ticket... So there's no possibility of us winning. We want the prize, but we don't do anything to enter the competition. I know that's a crude analogy, but you get my point, don't you? Okay. In order to win it, you've got to be in it. You've got to enter it. I didn't even mean to say that, but you can tweak that if you want. Okay. (laughs) So we pray things like, God, I want you to fill in the blank, whatever that is, because I know you can, I know nothing is impossible for you, so, so God, I'm just handing it over to you, and then we sit back and we do nothing, and then nothing happens. 
or we keep praying for it and we think, well, then maybe I just need to keep persisting. Maybe I just need to keep praying and praying and praying until God does something. And then still the same answer, absolutely nothing. I'm all for persisting in prayer. There are times where we need to persist in prayer. I'm all for persisting in prayer, but, but not in lieu of actually doing something when, and acting when we should. Prayer and action go hand in hand. And I want to bring out a little story here in Matthew 9, something that, that many of you have read before, but it's, it's unfortunate because the chapter division actually causes us to miss something, the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. And, and because there's this chapter division, we fail to see the connection, which is one I want to draw out this morning to, to make my point. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, Matthew chapter 9, I'm looking for verse 35. And it says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, I just actually flicked it away. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field, which is great. There's this massive harvest here, guys. Pray that God will send out workers into his harvest field, right? Then he goes on, and this is where I say the chapter divisions aren't helpful because the very next thing that happens is this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to them and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then he goes on to name the, the apostles. And in verse 5, chapter 10, verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, because freely you have received, freely give. Did you see what happened there? Jesus said, I want you guys to pray that God will raise up workers for the harvest field. And they're like, yep, absolutely, let's do that. And then he says, come here, off you go. Be careful what you pray for, hey? You may be the answer to your own prayer. Yeah? You may be the answer to your own prayer. Can I suggest something? That when we pray for something, our first instinct is not to scan the horizon to wonder where the answer is going to come from. Somewhere that is completely external to us. Our first instinct should be, if we're praying for something, should be, what's my part going to be in this? You with me? What is my part going to be in this? Because if I really want God to do something, shouldn't I be willing to get some skin in the game as well? Yeah? Absolutely. Can I say something else? Yeah. And please don't mishear me on this. But sometimes I think prayer is just a big cop-out. Yeah? Because we can get the feeling that we're doing something without ever having to do anything. Yes? We can come and pray, and we can go, we've been praying about that. But what have we been doing about it? Because often the prayers that we're praying, and we would never admit this to ourselves, but often when we're praying for God to answer things, we're hoping, as I said, that the answer's going to come from somewhere else or be someone else. I'm suggesting that we need to assume that if we feel that we need to pray about something or we want to see something happen, we should be looking at ourselves as being at least the first part of the answer to that prayer. That's what I believe. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray. Jesus doesn't say don't pray. He says pray. Pray that God will send out the harvest. 
workers into the harvest. I'm just saying, don't just pray when there's something that we could be doing. You know, I, years ago, as I said, we, we were church planters out in Quakers Hill and we used to have these, um, very early on in the piece, we had these combined church prayer meetings. And they were very fervent affairs. We, we, we would pray for three, four hours into the evening, praying that God would bring revival to Quakers Hill and he'd you know, bring people into the kingdom and he'd transform everything. I can guarantee you that nearly every person in that room meant those prayers. By the same token, these churches, and ours was one of them, that were praying for this revival, were doing absolutely nothing to talk to people about Jesus. You with me? You're all very subdued today. Is it the wet weather? Are you a little bit damp? Do we need to turn the heating up? Okay? Right. It's just too much conviction going on, isn't there? That's, yeah, it is, right. Okay. All right. So we're praying God... Bring revival and God's like, yeah, okay, I will. And then we just go on about our business and do what we normally do and never really talk to people about Jesus, never go out into the community and try and be the good news to them. How's that going to happen? We pray for resources in church. God, give us the resources we need. And I think sometimes God says, what do you call this? Here's a bunch of people with resources. And I'm not talking about this church because church, you do a wonderful job, okay? And I mean that quite sincerely, okay? But I have been in times where we go, God, you know, th- this church needs money. And, and the people in the church, we're praying, God, this needs money. Do you give? No. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. We just got to follow the leprechauns to the end of the rainbow and find that bag of gold. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, how stupid is that? God, God, we need people. We need people to be on our teams. We say, well, what are you doing? Nothing. Then don't pray that. Don't pray it unless you be prepared to be an answer to the prayer. We pray to pass exams without studying. Has anyone done that? Oh, God, help me get an A. Help me, help me ace it. I need, a high, I need a high distinction. Yeah, well, why don't you open your book? Can I get an amen? amen. All right, good, all right. We pray for jobs, but don't apply for them. God, give me a job. Hey, what was, what was the last job you applied for? No, I'm just praying for one. Oh, I see. <laughs> Is that how the world works? Right, okay, terrific. I wonder how many things we've asked for that haven't happened. Not because God has said no, but because we just haven't acted. That we haven't kick-started things, that we haven't been part of the answer to our own prayers. Why do we do this? I think there are two things we bump up against. One is a kind of, for want of a better term, a Christian fatalism. The other, okay, then what, what I mean by that is we say, we're going to pray about it and if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen, right? You know that type of thinking. It's rooted in some theology about God's sovereignty, etc., etc. The other is fear. The other is like, I, I don't want to get ahead of God. I don't want to force the issue. I don't want to just charge ahead and then sort of ask God to bless what I'm doing. Let's take the first one, the fatalism thing. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. All I have to do is pray. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. Not everything that God wants to happen just happens. Sometimes things that God wants to happen don't happen at all. And the Bible clearly shows that there are times when when God wants something to happen, he enlists people to help make it happen. Sorry, that's my my beard. I'm sorry. Um, He gets people to partner with him in helping make it happen. If you only need to look at the grand story of the Bible... You know, the story of the Bible is this unfolding narrative of God's 
desire, his plan, his program to bring restoration to all of creation, to bring everything together under Jesus, right? That's his plan. But he doesn't just snap his fingers and do it. He enlists people to be a part of that program and that process. And so we go right back to Abraham where he calls him out and he says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And Abraham has to go to a place he's never seen before. And God, he goes there and through him is the beginning of the nation of Israel. Moses leads those people out of, out of um, Egypt in the Exodus. He brings them into the promised land. Through Israel comes Jesus. Through Jesus comes the church. We are all part of this plan. God is not just sovereignly, independently and unilaterally working this plan out. He is doing it through people. He needs us to be a part of that type of thing. Okay? And that's not a sign of God's inability or weakness. It's just a recognition of the way he has ordered reality. That he just doesn't do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He works through his people. That's just the way it works. And there's lots of stories in the Bible that clearly show this. They're just microcosms of this greater truth. You know, when, when, when um, Mos- uh, Moses and Joshua and the people of Israel were up against the Amalekites, you had uh, Moses up on the mountain with his hands being raised and held up by Aaron and Hur. But you had Joshua down there actually fighting the Amalekites, didn't you? It wasn't just Moses praying, God, you know, make the Amalekites disappear. Joshua had to lead the Israelites into battle against the Amalekites. When, when Esther, you know, when there was that great threat against the Jewish people, okay, and they were all going to be wiped out, there was this plan. Esther and Mordecai just didn't pray that God would thwart that plan. Esther stepped up and made sure it didn't happen. God used her and she was born for such a time as this. Okay? David had to face up to, the, to Goliath. They just didn't have a prayer meeting and say, God, could you thwart the big giant that's mocking us? Someone had to go out there and fight him. God needs people to go and do things so the things that he wants to get done can actually get done. Partnership means we need to do more than just pray at times. We actually need to step out. What about the second one, fear, forcing the issue and getting ahead of God? The issue there for us is like, where's the line, you know? How do I know if I'm stepping out and doing something God wants me to do or whether I'm just doing my own thing and then expecting God to bless me? And it's a tricky one. I wish I could tell you that there was a foolproof way of making sure you didn't get this wrong, that you knew that you were doing God's will and exactly what he wanted you to do in that situation. But the truth is, even with the best of intentions, we will all get this wrong from time to time. We just need to be humble enough to admit it when we do and brave enough to regroup. That's it. There's no way of getting around this. And it's like Jake was talking about last week, you know, prayer is about learning to listen to God as well. It's not just going to him with all our requests, it's about being in a relationship with him and learning to hear his voice. I mean, Jesus says that, my sheep know my voice. And there is no shortcut to this. Learning to identify God's voice above all the other voices and all the other noise in our life takes time. It takes time. It takes a relationship, it takes the discipline and the practice to be able to do that. And yes, we can actually get better at that, but we never get to the point where it's absolutely foolproof. Not for us, we're just too mortal sometimes. So we're going to make these mistakes from time to time. We can't be 100% certain, but we can't let the fear of getting it wrong stop us from stepping out when we feel we need to. Mistakes are par for the course. And I'd argue if you haven't got a great catalogue 
of stories about missteps that you have made. You're not trying hard enough. I have failed spectacularly so many times it would fill an, an encyclopedia, okay? And, but you know what? There's never been a time where I feel like God is going to be angry at me for making a mistake. I don't feel like God is going, I can't believe you blew it. I, I genuinely believe he's stoked that I even try sometimes. Yeah? We've got, we've, got to, we've got to stop getting, we've got to get past this idea that God's got some sort of ruler he's waiting to wrap us over the knuckles with every time we get something wrong. God is for us. And in the same way, in an earthly way, you know, I watch my children try and fail. I'm just glad they try. Because if they don't try, they'll never do anything, will they? And it's the same with us. If we don't try, we'll never do anything. So don't be afraid of failure. Don't fear that the God is going to get all upset with you because you've done this. You know, for a life that is supposed to be about faith, we sure want a lot of certainty about things, don't we? I mean, that's what I find in Christian circles. We talk about it being a life of faith, but it always seems to be about certainty. I think most of the time, almost all the time, we're never going to get that, so we just have to step out and see what happens. And there's a few stories in the Bible, and I don't know whether it's we don't actually really take note of what's going on, we don't, we don't see the gravity of what's going on there, or the, it's just become a little bit of background noise to us because we're familiar with them, but there's a few stories in the Bible that really, really, if you stop and read it and look at what was going on, you're a bit shocked. So there's one of my favourite stories is in 1 Samuel 14, and it's about Jonathan and his armour-bearer. And the story is Israel is encamped um, on one edge of a ravine, and the Philistines are surrounding them on the other edge of the ravine and Saul and the army are doing nothing about it. So Jonathan, his son, says to his armour bearer, I've got a plan. Let's go down into the ravine and show ourselves to the Philistines. Now, if they say, wait there, we're coming down there to teach you a lesson, then we know we've made a mistake. <laughs> but if they say, come up here and we'll teach you a lesson then we'll know that God's on our side. I mean, the logic to this is just breathtakingly dumb, right? Okay, so they go out there and they show themselves to the Philistines and the Philistines say, come up here and say that. They're like, yes! Now, I just want to put this in context. There's a full Philistine army on top of the cliff. Jonathan has the one of the only two swords that Israel have. And he goes, yes, God's in this. Then militarily it makes no sense because they have to climb up a cliff to get to the enemy, okay? But they do it. But see the thinking? It's like something has to be done here. And in the absence of like an angel descending or, you know, a carrier pigeon or, you know, a text or whatever, okay, Jonathan says, let's roll the dice because something's got to be done. We're either going to die or we're going to succeed. There are our two options. So let's have a crack. That's mortifying when you think that most of us live like, you know, the will of God is this tightrope and we've got to stay on it and, you know, the worst thing we could do was possibly get it wrong and because I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm not going to step out. Then we've got another story about Paul. You know, Paul's this great, you know, he's an apostle, he loves Jesus, he talks to God, God talks to him, but there's this thing in Acts 15 where he's like, I'm going to take the gospel into Asia but God doesn't let him go into Asia. And so he goes, fine, I'll go further south and try and get in this way. So he goes further south and he tries to get in. It says, and God stops him there again. But that doesn't stop him. He goes even further to try again. And while he's trying again, he has a dream 
about a man from Macedonia saying, please come over here. And you know what he actually says? Um, I'm pretty sure God wants us to go to Macedonia. Not a, but this is only after he's tried a couple of doors and failed. And even then, in the dream, isn't like I know 100% what's required. He says, I think this is what God wants us to do. And then, of course, we've got Acts 15, the first council, when all the Gentiles have come in to this Jewish religion and now they're like, what do we do with all these Gentiles? Um, do they have to become Jewish in order to become Christians? They meet, they have their first council to decide, well, what are we going to ask them to do? Do they have to become like us? Do they have to get circumcised? Do they have to, you know, um, eat kosher food? Do they have to only worship on the Sabbath? All of these types of things. They make their decision in the end and you know what they say at the end of it? It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. You want to say, listen, mate, you're defining what a Christian is. Do you think that's an important issue? So you're defining what a Christian is and what a Christian does. And the best you can come up with is, it seemed like an okay thing to do. So, so what I'm trying to say in this, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be too light about this. What I'm saying is, there is this, in the scriptures, there is this recognition that we are never going to get it 100% right that there is no foolproof way of navigating what it is God wants us to do. Sometimes it is an educated guess. Sometimes it is trial and error. We're leaning in, we're listening, we want, to, we want to follow Jesus as faithfully as we can, but we don't have a detailed roadmap. Sometimes the best we can do is have a go, and sometimes when we have a go, we fail. But can I tell you something else? Just, just to take the pressure off you, you and I will not upend the eternal purposes of God if we get it wrong. Okay? As I said, I've made plenty of mistakes and as far as I know, Christianity still exists. Yeah? Yeah? yeah. Okay, he has lots of plans. We won't ruin things. We won't ruin things. We may just make a mistake. So sometimes the only way to find out if you're on the right track is to have a go. See if it comes off. Test the waters. Step out. Do something. See if God is going to be in that thing. Now, it is a bit more nuanced than that even because sometimes the first thing that happens when you step out is you run into a whole lot of resistance. Yeah? So sometimes it's wrong for us to conclude that we're doing the wrong thing. We've just hit resistance and we need to push through. But sometimes maybe we have got a little bit wrong. I mean, you've got the story of Moses as an example. He, he sees his people oppressed. He wants to be their deliverer. He ends up killing an, an Egyptian and then ends up spending 40 years in exile. His intention and his heart wasn't wrong. But his timing and his approach were off. And so sometimes that's it as well. It's not that the thing itself is wrong, it's just that maybe we've blundered into it too early or not given it enough thought or, or, or whatever, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong. We may not get it right, but that is preferable to doing nothing for fear of getting it wrong. You and I will not upend the eternal purposes of God. Okay? So that's my point. My point here is that there are times where prayer requires our participation don't just pray and expect something to materialise. Pray. By all means, pray. Pray a lot. But act. Step out and do something. You want a job? Pray and send out resumes. You want your friends and your family to come to know Jesus? Try acting like Jesus. See, I set up my prayer. I, I don't know. I, I, I need to lose weight. I've put on a lot of weight. I've comfort, I've comfort ate ever since I've been in this job because everyone was so mean to me. Um, that's my excuse anyway so I set up I set up my prayer station next to the treadmill and I pray that God will help me lose weight or I could get on the treadmill and I could watch and pray 
I could pray on the treadmill. I, I'm a male, I can't do two things at once. Um, but you know, it's like the stuff we want to see happen, we have to invest in, we've got to put skin in the game. So is there anything you've been praying for where this might be the case, where you're not seeing answers, where you're not seeing progress? Not because God is saying no to you, but because you just haven't moved. You haven't acted. You haven't taken a step in that direction. You haven't sent out that thing. You haven't applied for something. You haven't spoken to that person, whatever it happens to be. Is it possible that it's not happening? God's not saying no. He's just going, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to get this going. But not only do we have asked God to do stuff we could be doing, we also ask him sometimes to remove the thing that could be changing us to change the thing that needs to change. Did you get that? We could be asking him to remove the thing that could be changing us to change the thing that needs to change. See, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Let me explain. Last year, Heather and I had the, um, the privilege of being uh, in a little town called Assisi in Umbria, where St. Francis comes from. And St. Francis was ahead of his game because he set up all these merchandise stalls, right? Um, Brother, Sun and Sister Moon merchandise everywhere in Assisi. If you don't know what that means, not talking, anyway, it was one of his things. But then also the prayer of St. Francis. Is anyone aware of the prayer of St. Francis? Okay, well, it's actually not a prayer of St. Francis. <laughs> but don't let that stand in the way of a good merchandising opportunity, I always say. Okay, it's not a prayer of St. Francis, but it actually is a good prayer. And it goes like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offence, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that one receives, it is in self-forgetting that one finds, it is in pardoning that one is pardoned, it is in dying that one is raised to life. Now, that is a marked difference from the prayer of St. Adrian, which was recently found, where it says, where there is darkness, make it light, where there is sadness, take it away, where there is trouble, fix it, where there are obstacles, remove them. Can I get an amen for that? All right. That's how I normally pray, right? Did you see the contrast in those prayers? One of us, okay, the less saintly of the two, is saying, God, here's the problem, make it go away. The other is saying, help me be an answer to that problem. Do whatever you need to do in me to be the one, to be the bringer of light, hope, faith, truth, whatever it is in all of that stuff. See, prayer isn't always about asking God to change our circumstances. Sometimes prayer needs to be about God changing us in our circumstances so we can change our circumstances, to change us so that we might change the thing that needs changing. Oh, now we get it. Yeah, try and tweet that. Quick look, you know, a quick look through Paul's letters to the churches, you know, and he includes a lot of prayers that he is praying for the churches that he's been a part of planting. And, and these churches were planted in some really tough spots and these people were up against some really tough stuff externally and some really tough stuff internally as well. Did Paul... Is that... It's something? Yep, good. Okay. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Um, he's, he's praying... 
He doesn't pray, God, you know, take all the opposition away, God, take all the problems away or whatever. He, he prays things like this, God, give them more wisdom and revelation to grow in knowledge. He prays that they would be full of hope. He prays that they would live in peace and unity. He prays that they would be strengthened in spiritual power. He prays that they would learn to abide in Jesus. He prays that they would grow in their love for others. He prays that they would be faithful. He doesn't ask God to take it away. He prays God would do something in them to change the environment. You've got that great story in Acts chapter 4 as well where Peter and John have been arrested for preaching about Jesus. They're taken before the Sanhedrin, they're beaten, they're threatened and they're told they're never to preach in the name of Jesus again. They go back to their people and they tell them everything that was said to them. We're not supposed to be doing this. They're going to kill us if we keep doing this. And how do the people pray? They don't pray, God, would you, you know, um, destroy the Sanhedrin? God, would you bind the strong man? God, would you just make it easier for us? They go, no, Lord, consider their threats and enable us to speak your word with great boldness. It's not, it's not God, remove the opposition. It's like, you've heard the threats. Make us up to the task. Embolden us to be able to step into this thing. See, sometimes we don't need to pray for things to be taken away. We need to pray that we would be what we need to be in order to make a difference in that situation. That's why I titled today, Don't Just Pray For It, Be It. If you can see the red there, I'm colourblind, so that's really thrown me. Okay, um, green and red together. Uh, uh, uh. I'm going, why didn't you put the be it in there? And I'm like, there it is. Um, you could pray for my colour blindness if you like. Um, so don't just pray it, be it. Be the answer to the prayer that you're praying. Pray that God will make you up to the task, up to the challenge, whatever it happens to be. Maybe we aren't seeing some prayer answered at the moment not because we're just praying the wrong thing. We're asking God to fix it rather than to change us and to empower us. And I get it. It's easier to ask God to do that. It's far less costly for God to do that type of thing. But sometimes we need to be praying that God will help us be what we need to be rather than removing what's in the way. So is there anything at the moment where this might be happening for you, where you may be praying, God, make these people nice or fix this problem at school or at work or whatever, and, and you need to shift that prayer to go, God, help me be a peacemaker in that situation. Help me, bring a, help me to be a, a, a bringer of hope um, into that situation. Is this something that could be going on for you? And all I want us to remember out of today, really more than anything else, is that as we pray, okay, don't be scanning the horizon looking for where that answer's going to come from. Ask yourself, what part do I have to play in this? What is God calling me to do? What is something I can do now to see this thing change? Amen?